Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am currently recording from Sarah Week by S&P Global. This is one of the podcasts you will hear with a different flow, a different style, mostly because I'm recording it semi-live. I'm here today with the Colombian Minister of Mines and Energy, Diego Mesa. If you follow along with Colombian Energy, you'll have seen an announcement made during Sarah Week that the Ministry of Mines and Energy of Colombia announced an offshore wind energy roadmap. You would also notice that there is geothermal and solar potential in Colombia. Maybe we will cover that a little bit today as well. So I'm excited to have Minister Diego Mesa join us on the show and tell us how the energy transition is progressing in Colombia. Thank you, Minister, for joining me today on the show. If you would please share with me in the audience a little bit of your background and tell us what does the Colombian Ministry of Mines and Energy do? Uh, hi, Joseph. It's a pleasure to be here with you in, the po- in this podcast Um, A bit of my background, I've been in the ministry for the last three and a half years. I started with uh, the administration when President Duque took office back in August 2018. I started as a deputy minister of energy, and then after two years, I was promoted uh, to minister of energy. Before that, I spent on and off about 10 years at the International Monetary Fund. Uh, In the fiscal affairs department, they have a group of people that work uh, on fiscal and economic policies for energy, mining, and oil and gas. I, I work there advising governments around the world on how to design fiscal regimes for, for this industry. And before that, I spent about four years in PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC in Canada. Um, and I was also working in this industry as an advisor to mostly private clients, but also worked with provincial governments and the federal government in Canada as an advisor with PwC. I, I went to school in Canada, uh, so I, I'm an economist by training. I have a, a master's from McGill University in Montreal, but I'm also a chartered financial analyst, a CFA. Um, so that's a bit of a background. And the, your second question was, what does the Ministry of Mines uh, and Energy do? Um, well, I, we are responsible mostly for designing and implementing the policy for the power, oil and gas, and mining sector. That's our our main mandate. But we also have other responsibilities. We have uh, seven agencies or entities that depend on the Ministry of Energy and Mines. Uh, We have the National Hydrocarbon Agency, which is responsible for assigning oil and gas blocks. We have uh, the National Mining Agency, which is responsible 
for assigning mine titles and um, or collecting royalties uh, from the sector. We also have the Energy and Mining Planning Unit, which obviously is kind of like the planet for the sector and decides when do we need to have an expansion on generation capacity, on transmission lines, and so forth. We have also the commission, the regulation commission for energy and gas, which obviously does all the regulation for the sector. We have the Institute for Off-Grid Zones. We still have about 3% of Colombians without access to electricity. And we have an institute that's dedicated to provide solutions for these communities that live off-grid. And we also have a fund for renewable energy and energy efficiency as well. And this fund uh, helps to co-finance projects in this uh, in this area. And it, so, oh, and we have obviously the Colombian Geo- Geological Service as well, which uh, you know does a lot of research uh, into um, the resources underground, similar to a USGS uh, in in the US. Um, and I happen to uh, chair the board of all these entities as well, as my <laughs> in addition to my day to day job at the ministry. So you are quite busy. Yeah, yeah it sounds it sounds so. <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you for the introduction and giving that that overview of what the the ministry does. So your office recently made an announcement yesterday, in fact, this will come out a few weeks from now, but it was a roadmap of offshore wind development and an announcement of the first project as part of this roadmap. So for those who didn't see the, the announcement, can you just give us a 30 second spiel on what it is? Sure. And, and do you mind if I give you a bit of context as well as to yes, you know why yes, why are we it. here with this announcement? So, uh, when we came uh, in, in, into office uh, three and a half years ago, uh, it was very clear for us that the main policy for the energy sector was going to be energy transition. And, and this is interesting to mention because if you look at Colombia uh, back in 2018, uh, Colombia was not doing uh, pretty much anything on energy transition. We only had two projects. Uh, we have a small uh, solar farm in the country, you know, about 10 megawatts, that was it. Mm-hmm. And we have a pilot that started in 2004 for onshore wind, but that mm-hmm. was it. Uh, so it was, uh, I think, less than 28 megawatts in total of wow. installed capacity of variable renewable energy. But when you look at the history of what has happened around the world, uh, you know, there was a significant revolution between 2010 and 2018. Prices of these technologies dropped significantly, up to 80, 85% mm-hmm. uh, in some cases. And Colombia, because of its uh, geographic location, has significant resources, both mm-hmm. wind and solar, world-class resources. Just for example, onshore wind in the northern part of uh, the country, uh, we have wind speed that it's about nine meters per second. That's about double mm-hmm. the world's average. And on solar, uh, our radiation, it's about 60% higher than the world average. And with an additional uh, advantage for Colombia is that because we are very close to the equator line, so we don't have seasons, right? We don't have winter, we don't have summer. Uh, The wind and the solar radiation is very stable. So for, you know, the typical variability, obviously, of this type Mm -hmm. of technologies is actually quite predictable and stable. So, you know, when we came into office, we designed a number of policies to be able to capitalize on this huge potential. So we uh, issue tax incentives. Uh, we came up um, with also uh, import duty 
um, uh, benefit to for companies to invest. We complemented all the policy framework with a very, very interesting and innovative uh, auction program. So we mm. did the first auction in 2019. Uh, we did another one in 2021. And, and the end result is that three and a half years later, we've been able to award contracts that's equivalent to 100 times the install capacity that we had back in 2018. So we're going from 28 megawatts to 2,800 megawatts, and we have a huge pipeline. So over the last three and a half years, you know, I've usually spent my weeks um, inaugurating uh, solar farms. Uh, we had the first uh, wind project to come online after 17 years uh, in La Guajira, which is the northern part. And this is happening really fast. Another very good thing that we did is that we brought a lot of new companies that were not mm. present in Colombia because we wanted to have competition. So over this uh, three and a half years, we have EDF from France, we have uh, EDPR from Portugal, we have maybe you know a half a dozen Spanish companies that were not here before. We have UK companies, we have Canadian companies, um, and and this is now you know it's a totally different landscape in the energy uh, generation sector. So we, we thought about six, seven months ago, what's next? Because we've moved really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we wanted also to uh, start on uh, low and zero emission hydrogen and offshore wind. So we launched in September last year, our roadmap for uh, green and blue hydrogen. And actually, uh, in about three weeks uh, from today, the 18th of March, we're gonna have two weeks actually, we're gonna have the first two uh, green hydrogen projects starting mm -hmm. operations in Colombia. And then we said, well, we need to do something else. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, we know offshore wind is uh, you know, very um, uh, popular these days in many countries with you know, uh, much higher wind speeds, uh, more predictability. So with the help of the World Bank, um, we got a, a group of consultants and we've been working on this for the last uh, three or four months. And uh, we launched the roadmap now for comments. And what this roadmap says is that Colombia, only on the Caribbean coast, because we also have a Pacific coast, okay. uh, we have a potential of about 50 gigawatts of installed capacity in offshore wind, which is divided. It's, you know, a little bit more than half of it would be in shallow water. So you would, you know, just do fixed uh, uh, um, uh, devices, mm -hmm. uh, turbines, and then about... 22, 23 gigawatts would be in water depths of more than 80 meters, so would be floating devices. Mm. And yesterday, uh, I was joined by the mayor of Barranquilla. Barranquilla is the third largest city in Colombia. Uh, they're being great partners. So we announced yesterday, and this is, you know, you start with this question, I'm sorry it took me so long to get to the <laughs> answer. Uh, we announced that um, the, the mayor of Barranquilla signed an agreement with Copenhagen uh, infrastructure partners from uh, Denmark and they will be developing the first offshore wind project in Colombia. Uh, it's going to have installed capacity of about 350 megawatts uh, and an investment um, of about 1 billion US dollars. So this is another milestone for Colombia energy transition. We're very happy uh, to see this moving so fast. Uh, we have CIP yesterday as well in the room in the announcement. Uh, and it's great to see that's happening in one of the most innovative cities in Colombia, which is Barranquilla. Yeah, that's great. With that four, 50 gigawatts of power, what is the timeline for the roadmap on when you want to have those 50 gigawatts online? So, so the roadmap has uh, a couple of different scenarios. Uh, and obviously, you know, it depends uh, on a number of variables. You know, 
uh, how fast we'll see also uh, technology prices coming down, especially mm. for the floating yeah. uh, portion of it. But what we're saying is that between now and 2030, which is only you know about eight years or so, mm-hmm. we expect to see about you know three to five gigawatts uh, okay. of this total potential being developed. Uh, that's the, the the base case scenario. Obviously, there's an upside and there's a downside, um, but that's what we're seeing. Um, and uh, you know, the idea would be from 2030 to 2050, a speed up as well. Uh, and hopefully, we could be able to exploit at least 50 to 70 percent of this total uh, potential that's been uh, predicted now. Okay. Yeah. So that would be a significant increase in renewables onto the grid, onto the Colombian grid. And while I was in the in the announcement as well, it said that the current size of the Colombian grid is 17.7 gigawatts. That's about right. So this would be a significant increase, even those three to five gigawatts, you are jumping up to almost 25% uh, renewable energy. How much renewable energy is on the Colombian grid right now? So the very, it's, the number is very low because what I was explaining before that in 2018, we only have two projects. So mm-hmm. back in 2018, it was 0.2% of the power matrix of those you know, 17.5 gigawatts. Um, today, we've multiplied that times 25 times. So we are between 3 and 4% of the grid now. It's with variable renewable energy, but... But one thing that we need to mention as well is that 70% or so of the uh, share in the power matrix is with conventional renewables, with large hydro and small hydro. Mm. So it's a very clean matrix to begin with. Okay. Um, we project by the end of, uh, of the summer, when, as when the government uh, term ends, um, we're going to end up with about uh, 10% uh, of the participation of variable renewable energy, and by the end of 2022, is going to get probably to 12 to 14%. And what we see is in 2023, 2024, it'll probably go towards 20%, 25% in the years to come. And, you know, the discussions with the uh, system operator, uh, it's that the Colombian grid could easily manage up to 25 to 30% of variable renewable energy wow. uh, without any significant upgrades um, to the systems. Obviously, uh, we're also building a number of transmission lines because as in many mm-hmm. countries, some of these projects are uh, you know, located in areas yeah. that are remote from uh, urban centers. Yep, yep. And with the 20 to 25% of variable renewables on the grid, the my understanding, you're saying that the grid will be fine. It will not be in any way unreliable or be in a in a compromised position, but how much of that power that is getting on the grid will you be able to use? Uh, and that's a very good question. So I mentioned, you know, in in my long answer before <laughs> that we also launch the hydrogen roadmap, low mm-hmm. and zero emission hydrogen. Uh, we see a significant potential to position Colombia as a potential uh, not only producer but exporter of mm-hmm. uh, low and zero emission hydrogen. Uh, and especially in the in the northern part of the country uh, is where we have uh, the highest potential both for wind and solar. So what we're saying is that there's a possibility to have some of these projects, whether it's offshore wind or onshore wind or, or solar farms, that are exclusively dedicated to produce green hydrogen. Um, and, and I think, you know, we could 
think about in the in the medium term um, being able to export. So uh, as part of all this uh, policy, um, we, for example, uh, last month, we signed an MOU uh, with uh, the Rotterdam port. Uh, they're very interested in saying opportunities to bring Colombian green hydrogen uh, to their facilities. I visited in October last year, Germany. I went to the Hamburg port, which is also is the third busiest port in Europe. They have significant um, hydrogen programs that are being developed. Um, and I will be visiting Germany again uh, towards the end of the month for the Berlin uh, Energy Transition Dialogue. Uh, the Germans are very, very interested, as you know, mm-hmm. in being able to secure yep. sources of green hydrogen uh, in the medium to long term. So so that's what I see Colombia moving. So all this excess energy that's going to be there uh, could be used, uh, for example, for green hydrogen production. And a second part uh, of that, uh, for that question, a second answer for that question is, we're also working on regional interconnections. Uh, so right now we are connected to the Ecuadorian grid and uh, you know it's, it's, it goes both ways. When we have excess, we export electricity to Ecuador. When we need electricity, uh, especially when we have a drought periods in Colombia because of El Nino phenomenon, for example, mm-hmm. we're able to import uh, from Ecuador and we just um, sign an agreement with Panama and uh, we expect to store the construction of the line that will connect Colombia uh, electricity system in Panama next year. And and having access to Panama is really important because Panama is interconnected with the rest of Central America. Mm-hmm. So it's not only Panama, but all the Central American market uh, that will become available for Colombia to export electricity as well. Yep, yep. And I think, so I'm a, a geothermal guy and that ends up giving you more access to more geothermal potential, some of which is already being developed and already being put online in Central America and then going down further into Colombia where you do also have geothermal potential. With the I want to I want to talk about the the excess energy a little bit more as you're looking through this and developing this roadmap. I'm curious how much of that energy is is grid need growth and grid demand for for power in Colombia versus how much of it is what it sounds like here is more of that economic driver of you have a resource and now you want to find a way to to sell that resource to the rest of the world. Sure. So, 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 I, th- so I think I think is a little bit of both. And um, let me step back again. When I when I came to to this job as as deputy minister of energy, I was very surprised uh, about the discussions in the Colombian electricity market. I think I had an advantage of being an outsider because uh, mm. I was away from the country for about 18 years. So I, I came with really fresh eyes. And what I realized is that in Colombia, there was this myth that uh, it was easy for Colombia to be over-installed in uh, electricity generation, which I think is a myth that we're trying to mm-hmm. debunk. And I said it's a myth because when you look at the intensity of uh, energy use in Colombia, it's extremely low. We are well below the regional average let alone comparisons to uh, energy intensity in OECD countries. As, as you know, you know we became members of the OECD um, last year. So I think you know it comes. It's kind of like a, a chicken and egg question. So you know the, the industry, for example, says that the reason why we don't have higher manufacturing rates uh, is because uh, 
electricity in Colombia was not competitive. Uh, and then, you know, when you talk to the electricity or utility companies, why we don't have more electricity? Oh, it's because we don't have enough demand. Huh. Uh, so, so you get into, into that circle. So one very good uh, outcome of the energy transition is that with the first auction that we did in 2019, even though we were accused at the time, because one of the, one of the policy changes that we did was to include what I call a notch, a policy notch. We included in, in one of our laws uh, RPO, a renewable purchase obligation for utilities. The 10% of the electricity that they distribute to end users has to come from variable renewable energy. At the mm -hmm. time, that was highly criticized. You know, they told me, uh, oh, you're meddling with the market. The Colombia market mm -hmm. works quite well. We don't need the government to be here telling us, you know, what to buy and what not to buy. I said, I, I think we need a push because, um, you know, the incumbents at the time, they were not interested in exploiting these this variable renewable uh, resources. So turns out that after we did the auction, and, and so even though we have the RPO on one side, we were very innovative and flexible with the auction. So the auction was the first one in the world to be a double-sided auction for variable renewable energy. When I said hmm. double-sided, meaning that what we created was a market platform for buyers and sellers to come and bid on price and quantities. So, you know, the, the, the norm in the world is that when you have a variable renewable energy, you have a single off-taker, which is usually the government, yep. and then they distribute it, uh, you know, the, the, the energy among utility companies. We said, okay, you know, we don't want to uh, be um, uh, restrictive. And if we're including an RPO, let's, you know, have a very uh, free open market auction. Yep. Result, uh, in the first auction, prices of electricity from variable renewable energy were about 40% lower than what's being traded on traditional electricity in the market at the time uh, for Colombia. But internationally, it was very competitive. The price uh, closed in 2019 at $27.9 uh, per megawatt hour. Hmm. Uh, and I think that was at the very low end of the range uh, in 2018 when we looked at auctions around the world. And obviously, this is a 15-year PPA, uh, Power Purchase Agreement. Uh, I just uh, looked this morning because I was doing another interview <laughs> before coming here, and electricity prices in Germany today are 475 euros per megawatt hour. Yeah. So we have people in Colombia with contracts for 15 years, they're paying $27.9. So it's just you mm -hmm. know a tiny fraction of what electricity prices uh, are being traded in, in Europe today. Obviously, you know, that's... Uh, many reasons why that price is so high, but it's yeah. just to show that it's very competitive. Yeah, that is a a very competitive price. The so one thing that we've we've kind of talked about with the hydrogen and with the the variable nature of the wind is is the fact that it it is variable, and you have the plan for hydrogen production. Are there any other plans to put in batteries or? in other ways, utilize that variable renewable so that way you do fully maximize? Or is it pretty much the plan is make hydrogen and export it? Uh, no, we, we have we have many plans, and I'm glad you asked uh, that. So uh, to, to let me step back a little bit again. And, uh, you know, one thing that we did as part of the energy transition, when you mentioned uh, batteries, um, July last year, we did the first auction in Latin America for large-scale storage with batteries. Uh, and it was quite successful. We have 10 companies bidding. Mm. Uh, uh, the, the company that won uh, the tender was Canadian Solar. 
uh, that's very well known as well for uh, you know bidding very low prices in other countries in Latin America. Mm-hmm. I think they had the record for the lowest solar uh, kilowatt hour in Chile um, last year as well. So, uh, and but interestingly enough, uh, this uh, storage system uh, is not designed to complement the variability of variable renewable energy. Mm-hmm. We did it, um, you know, within our expansion of the regional transmission lines. So in the northern part of the of the country, uh, in the Department of Atlantico, uh, uh, the the lines are quite busy, and sometimes we have this what what is called you know restrictions or curtailment in the industry, and you have to you know uh, turn on uh, the thermal facilities to be able to provide electricity. So we saw an opportunity to you know uh, use a different application of of body or energy storage, and is you know uh, the the contract is that when you have very um, uh, high volume uh, of electricity being traded at the time, you know, the peak hours, you should be able to turn on uh, the storage system mm-hmm. and provide the grid with a with a backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we awarded that um, last year, I think it's about 23 million US dollars uh, for a 50 megawatt uh, uh, installed capacity battery. Uh, and before that, we were with uh, NL, um, NL, which is uh, present in Colombia, one of the companies leading also in energy transition, and we inaugurated the first um, storage system in one of their plants. It was mm-hmm. a thermal plant, um, but they installed a six uh, megawatt uh, battery capacity. So yes, I mean, we're thinking that in addition to all this uh, solar and wind projects, uh, we'll probably will see some uh, bids uh, in the next auctions in which they include battery mm-hmm. or energy storage as well to be able to provide um, you know, to make bids during the different hours of the day. Our auctions have been uh, divided into hourly blocks. Uh, okay. and, and then obviously, you know, the most competition is in the second block, uh, which is when you have a solar uh, radiation, you know, yeah. uh, at a maximum. Uh, so so that's that's coming. And, and another, you know, another point that I mentioned, I'm going to pick up on one of your comments before. You said you were a geothermal guy. Uh, so we have obviously geothermal uh, resource potential in Colombia. And last year, uh, we also inaugurated the first pilot uh, for uh, geothermal of low enthalpy mm-hmm. uh, in uh, oil and gas operation. Uh, Parix Resources, a Canadian company, uh, they are now producing in one of their oil fields uh, uh, clean electricity uh, using uh, geothermal resources. Uh, a second one is coming up uh, this first uh, semester of 2022. And Ecopetrol, the national company, is also coming up with a third uh, geothermal uh, pilot. So that's another, uh, you know, avenue that we're exploring that is, is looking quite good. Uh, in those cases, it's for just self-generation uh, in, mm-hmm. in their production sites. Uh, but I think there's significant potential because the Colombian oil and gas sector has been very innovative. And, you know, they're thinking about how they can electrify their operations and mm-hmm. hopefully with, with clean electricity. And then we've also looked at other uh, renewable uh, energy resources, and we put into operation uh, last year as well uh, the first uh, generation plant with forestry biomass, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 that was actually you know uh, very significant for the country because this is a uh, one of our capitals uh, that is in a department that borders with Venezuela, and they used to depend on electricity from Venezuela, which is highly unreliable. Uh, so we were having uh, constantly. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, running out of electricity and uh, very intermittent. 
So there was this company that saw the opportunity that to use all these tax benefits that we put in place, mm. and they installed a biomass uh, generation plant that is working quite well. So this city, which is a small city in Colombia, but still important, it's now um, uh, you know it has energy security because they have uh, biomass. Mm. So we're we're looking at you know all the different uh, sources of variable renewable energy storage. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, as we discussed before, uh, hydrogen and um, offshore wind as well. Yeah, that's very exciting. So I'm, I'm curious, since you did mention the, the oil and gas co-production geothermal projects, and those are all in, the, in that pilot phase, is there any plans for a roadmap or a bid round for the, for the more traditional volcanic geothermal settings? Has there been any recent development on that front? And there's been, um, and we've commissioned a study uh, over the last 18 months with the International, the Inter-American Development Bank, the IDB. Uh, so what we did is that we've incorporated in our energy transition law, which is law 2099, which we issue uh, in July last year. Uh, we also extend all these benefits that we have for solar and, um, and wind to geothermal. Um, we are in the process of, uh, you know, having all the regulation, the, the regulation uh, for, uh, you know, the, the the high enthalpy, as you call it, uh, potential. Uh, we we need to work very closely with our Ministry of Environment because, as mm-hmm. you said, you know, most of these resources are usually located close to volcanoes, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're active or passive. Uh, but most of these volcanoes in Colombia are in what what are national parks. Yeah. So so yeah, but we're looking at it. Um, there's been interest from different companies. Uh, it, we we estimate the potential is maybe you know in the about um, five uh, gigawatt uh, uh, potential or so. So it's not as large as wind mm. and solar, but still significant. Uh, and that's something that we're looking at. So we we start with this low enthalpy um, pilots to begin with. But yes, uh, there's also uh, interest from some of the companies. Uh, to look at the larger projects. That's exciting and very cool because I think it there there's always the that need for a strong base load power and I think that geothermal is one of those that's often forgotten and I think it's very encouraging to hear that the the benefits that you have incorporated for wind and solar are also being focused and incorporated for geothermal because oftentimes that is that is forgotten. Yeah. With, with, with something, uh, an interesting incentive uh, as well. So w- what we work with uh, the IDB, uh, so we, we realized that to get this this sector going, we also needed to throw in some incentive for the exploration phase, mm-hmm. right? As, as you yeah. probably know well, uh, you know, high risk uh, uh, and upfront because you have to do drilling and, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you don't get anything. So it's very similar to oil and gas. Yeah. So what we're doing is that we, we have um, uh, this uh, fund uh, in which the companies uh, could take the risk, and if 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 the exploration fails, they don't have to reimburse uh, half of the investment because half of the investment is mm-hmm. co-finance. Obviously, if it's a successful project, then you repay uh, for that. So that's a way to mitigate the risk on the exploration phase, and uh, we're just you know uh, eager to see you know companies actually uh, dipping into this fund. Yeah, that sounds. Sounds like a, a good idea and something that, that I have seen as you look for ways to de-risk those more risky renewable energies. So 
it sounds like you're really in charge of a lot of different aspects. You said earlier, it is seven different groups that is kind of under the ministry. I'm just curious, how how do you keep track of it all? <laughs> uh, I ask myself that question as well <laughs> on a regular basis. No, but we, we have a very strong leadership team uh, in the ministry and in this entity. So well, each of these seven entities, they have either you know a president or a director uh, with vice presidents and, and managers below them. So we, we meet uh, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. Um, we have, uh, you know, very well-defined objectives for each of the sectors. Uh, in Colombia, the way that the policy works out is that when you you come into, into power, uh, you have to pass through Congress what is called the National Development Plan. And the National Development Plan basically is uh, your, you know, government program for four years, and, and you include in there all the different objectives that you have for each of the sectors that you're responsible for. So we, we keep track uh, uh, of everything. And um, we also have uh, something that we adapted, I think was from maybe uh, Obama administration at the time, which is this uh, delivery units. So we have a delivery unit within the ministry and within the presidency. Uh, and you know they're in charge of, uh, of following as well with the, the responsible teams. So you know we have clear um, uh, goals in mining, in oil and gas, in power, and we keep you know, keep track of those. And I think we're, we're doing quite well. I mean, um, I think, you know, the objectives for energy transition have all been met. Uh, actually, we updated them when we saw um, the, the response and that, you know, we're getting a lot of traction from companies. And uh, uh, they all, we also have, uh, you know, important objectives on closing energy gaps. That's something that we haven't mm-hmm. discussed in much detail today. Uh, but that's an important part for Colombia because, you know, the, despite being a middle-income country, mm-hmm. part of the OECD, we still have uh, energy poverty uh, mm-hmm. in some regions of the country. Uh, so, yeah, so I think it's you know, it's all about having, you know, a very uh, good executive team uh, that helps you with uh, keeping track of all these different entities. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, when, you, when you look at total staff, um, I think... Uh, we have about 2,000 people uh, uh, mm, that, wow. that, you know, about 800 in the in the ministry plus the entities, it adds up to yeah. about 2,000 staff. And we're responsible uh, for a budget that is about uh, 1.52 billion US dollars on an annual basis. Because mm. we're also responsible for paying all the energy subsidies in the country, which mm. is, uh, you know, another, another part of our job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like during your national development plan, you, you had to go through that process as well then correct correct and it sounds like you're three you said three or three and a half years in yep and it sounds like you've already hit all of those marks so we we have so for example just to give you an example uh in the national development plan uh we set a goal to bring electricity for the first time to 100,000 households Hmm. uh with public funds so this is without taking into account expansion of the uh, grid operator for example that wants to bring more customers into their mm-hmm. their base and uh, by the end of february uh the latest number i got from my team is we are at 73,000 households with uh electricity for the first time in their homes uh so 73% of the goal and we are well on track to reach 100,000 by August when when we when our term comes to to an end and and for example in that case we've been able to um, leverage energy transition so of those mm. 73,000 households about 26 27,000 of them uh, we've been able to bring electricity with 
with individual solar systems and batteries uh, wow. because we, we provide, you know, 24-7. So these obviously are very remote areas in rural places, uh, but, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very good to see that we can bring solar panels and batteries mm -hmm. uh, to these people and, you know, improve significantly their quality of life. Yep, yep, that is really exciting and and great news. It would be fun to to talk about that more, but we are we are slowly running out of time and I've got a few final questions. Sure. These are a little bit more fun <laughs> and it'll be interesting to hear your perspective being a being the the closest to a politician that I've had on the show. <laughs> so the the first question, what's the most important book you've ever read? Okay, that's a, that's a very good question. But I, I've been having a lot of fun because you said now these are fun questions. Ah, well, uh, okay. And, <laughs> and, and, I, and I have another comment. Uh, in, and, and I have to explain sometimes this to my Canadian friends. So uh, uh, ministers in Colombia are presidential appointments. So I'm far from being a politician, uh, <laughs> even though I have to deal with them all the time. <laughs> um, so I, I think, and, and it, you know, your question about what's the most important book, I, I think one of the most... Uh, interesting books that I've read uh, over the last two or three years that it's very timely uh, to what's going on today in the world mm -hmm. uh, and in the energy market uh, is The New Map by Daniel Durgan. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, that book summarizes quite well uh, all the geopolitical um, behind the scenes, uh, you know, uh, dynamics in the energy industry worldwide. Uh, and and it's 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 so easy to read. I mean, that's a book that once you started, you want to put it down. Um, and I think for for the job that I'm doing right now, uh, and for what's going on, I'm trying to understand, uh, you know, what's behind all this uh, Russia invasion to Ukraine. That's a, a, an excellent book uh, mm -hmm. that I would recommend to the people. Yep. Yeah. And there are a lot of copies today in Zero Week, so you can yeah uh, pick one. Uh, yep. I'm sure you read it already, but. I actually have not read oh, it yet. You have to I get it. I need to. Yeah, you've been the third or fourth person to recommend. We have it. one on the table, so we can uh. <laughs> we can live it. And you should get it signed by Daniel Jurgen because he's doing book signings here. Yes. this whole week. Yeah, so I need to find one of those. Yeah. The next question: When will we be net zero as a society? Huh. That's uh, that's a question that's probably uh, the answer is evolving as we see what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. So, so I think you know the 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 goal of 2050, which is what basically we all agree back in COP26, which is a, quite an interesting um, uh, negotiation to attend to uh, last October, um, is is realistic, but it's going to cost us. But we need to you know um, internalize the fact that uh, in a, in order to get to a net zero world by 2050, we need to make a, a lot of decisions about. Uh, you know the the way society lives today, mm -hmm. but but I think is 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 difficult, but it's attainable. Um, obviously, there may be some countries that may go over to twenty sixty or or beyond. But Colombia, you know, we made a, a firm commitment to be net zero by twenty fifty. Um, uh, the intermediate target is to reduce our CO two emissions by fifty one percent in twenty thirty, and we're working on on that front. But you, you need to start with small steps. And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, the Ministry of uh, Mines and Energy in Colombia, today, we're carbon neutral already, uh, mm. certified. So we became carbon neutral in December last year. Um, obviously, we're a small entity, I mean, in the grand scheme of things. 
But I think, you know, that individual responsibility is key. We need to, you know, start doing our our share, our fair share. Mm-hmm. So what we did is about uh, a year ago, we installed a solar system in our roof. So we are uh, uh, generating about 80, 40%, 35 to 40% of uh, our energy consumption in the ministry. And then our uh, CO2 footprint, we compensate that uh, through carbon credits. So we purchase mm-hmm. carbon credits from... Uh, Farms in the southern part of the country, uh, and we're you know we, we finally got certified in um, December last year as the first ministry to be carbon neutral in Colombia. So I think you also need to lead by example, and yeah. and like that I have other examples in Colombia, but I'm sure around the world you know everyone is moving in that direction. But it's 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 going to be a, a challenge. I think it's going mm-hmm. to be a challenge, and um, I think what's going on with oil prices. There are a number of different channels uh, that will be affecting the energy transition. Yeah. So you would think, because and this is an interesting, you know, question to discuss, especially here in Zero Week. Uh, you would think, you would think, you know, the economic logic would tell you that if um, oil prices are, you know, skyrocketing, you know, 130, 135, even yesterday, the Brent, um, you would think the world will try to switch uh, more quickly to alternative sources that are cheaper, more competitive. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, um, you know, high oil prices will continue to drive up inflation, as yep. we've seen over the last year. Uh, inflation will make central banks to increase interest rates. Higher interest mm-hmm. rates would make capital more expensive and scarce. And all these energy companies need capital, but capital is going to be more expensive. Uh, and then in the meantime, oil and gas companies uh, will have, you know, very robust balance sheets, yeah. probably don't need to go capital markets and they can continue to, you know, develop more projects. Uh, oh. So it's a bit, a bit counterintuitive, but um, I think uh, it, it could could have an impact on energy transition. Uh, and that's why I said, you know, it's, it's going to be costly, but we need to make uh, firm decisions about it. Yep. Yep. I like those those points that you made that you have to lead by example and and you have to make that conscious decision and know what what you are ultimately paying for and you're willing to pay for that transition and it is uh thinking about oil and how the oil prices work into it is a definitely everything you just said is is kind of that big circle that i don't deal with because I'm in, I'm in, in the rocks, and I avoid that at all costs. Yeah, you're in the rocks, and we haven't talked about mining yet. Uh. True, and I, I, I would love to, but I think we are not going to talk about mining this time. The next time you're on the show. So the the last question I've got is: Do you have any any question for me? Uh, yes, I do. So I mean, if you interviewed people from the sector uh, all the time, and uh, so uh, based on on, on the gas that you have here that I understand you have different type of guests from industry, mm-hmm. uh, policy, you know, academia and so forth. Um, what, what's your take on how fast is the energy transition going worldwide? And how do you see Colombia, uh, you know, in, in the big picture? I mean, what's your, uh, and did, did you know about, you know, what Colombia is doing? And so being- Yeah, yeah, so take. yes, the, I did know about Colombia. So I, I do have a, I am a, geothermal geoscientist with a company called Petrolearn. We were hired by Echo Patrol okay. to to do some geothermal work for them. So I am I am well aware of the geothermal prospects in Colombia. 
and I am very excited for everything Columbia is doing. And it's very exciting to see to see how you are thinking about utilizing something like your offshore wind energy and and making that into a commodity to to ultimately help decarbonize not only your your economy, but also that ultimately helps decarbonize the rest of the world. And I think that talking about the interconnections and everything you mentioned earlier, that is really really what's needed is that collaborative interconnected effort because if we live in a globalized society we should all be working towards decarbonizing and we should be helping each other decarbonize so it's it's great to see that that columbia is actually one of the leaders doing that and actually trying to they're they're you're making this economy and this hydrogen economy around your existing renewable potential so that is that is exciting as far as how fast the energy transition is moving worldwide, I think that there are there is a lot of momentum and there is a lot of excitement and a lot of hype. And with all of that, I think it is it is becoming more mainstream mm-hmm. and I think it is slowly changing the views of the of the general population because i think the general population is is either all in on renewables or they're completely against it and it really just depends on which news channel you turn on but i think that that narrative is slowly changing and it is becoming more of a renewables are just going to be a part of the future and i think people are all starting to accept that we need a balance we need to strike we need a, balance. a balance we need a balance and we need to we need to have those real conversations and like you said earlier there will be a cost to renewables and that is one of the things that i think is is being left out from a lot of the hype that we talk about solar and wind but they there are some some pitfalls behind them we do need to openly communicate that and have that dialogue and say if we want to do xyz we need to be, we need to first start with A, B, and C. Right. So that's kind of a roundabout answer too. I think it's moving in the right direction. 2050 is a lofty goal, but as you said, we can do it. Right. It just depends on accepting the, the cost. So thank you for joining me on the show. I know we are running out of time. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you would like to say? I just would like to reiterate and invite people that uh, don't know very much about Colombia to take a look at what have we done over the last mm-hmm. uh, three and a half, four years. I think it's very exciting. Uh, a lot of new companies coming in. And, and I think the message is, um, you know, it, this is a very good case study of how good, well-designed public policy mm. can turn things yeah. around. Uh, we are we firmly believe in you know the the private sector uh, and uh, private initiative, uh, but we also know that sometimes you need the the right policies in place to allow the private sector mm-hmm. to you know come and uh, uh, you know change uh, the landscape for good of a yeah. sector. And I think that's what happened in Colombia over the last four years. So my invitation would be come take a look. We have world class 
uh, wind resources, both onshore, offshore, world-class solar resources, geothermal, uh, and I, I hope Colombia will continue to be on this path, being a leader uh, regionally in the energy transition. Yep. Well, thank you for, for that last comment. I fully agree and iterate. If you haven't been to Colombia, you have to go and, and generate some more electricity. So thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. Please do me a favor, give me a five-star rating and leave a review. Doing these two simple actions will help these stories reach a wider audience. If you want to hear more great stories and keep up to date with the energy industry, connect with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit OGGN.com. And if you're in the Houston area, go try out the Canon. Mention OGGN and you can get a free day pass. While I may not be there right now, I am usually there when I'm in Houston. And don't forget, it's also where we host our monthly OGGN industry mixers. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.